Welcome back to Mining Stock Daily, everybody. Going to continue the day with a corporate introduction, actually. This is a company uh, I've been a shareholder of for some time, but we've never featured them on the podcast. Uh, and and the timing is right. Uh, we are welcoming in Premium Nickel Resources. They trade on the Venture Exchange with PNRL. And happy to welcome in uh, CEO Mr. Keith Morrison. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you. And, uh Thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on because, listen, this is a the, – the focus here is uh, a lot of these battery metals, nickel being obviously predominantly important here. Uh, it's obviously in your title, but this has really kind of been the focus on. But I also have a special place in my heart for your major uh, mine and exploration project in Botswana. I originally, one of the first starts I ever had in this business was working with a company out of Botswana. Uh, it's a wonderful country to explore and work in. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, you know, a little bit later. But if you could give us a general sense of how premium nickel became what it is today. There was an amalgamation that happened uh, a while back. Yeah. Um, I joined North American Nickel as CEO, uh, probably approaching 10 years ago now. Uh, it was an expert team uh, focused on nickel, copper, cobalt exploration and development projects, predominantly in Greenland at the mo- at that time. But we then expanded into a global search. We thought that the timing to acquire additional uh, high-quality nickel, copper, cobalt sulfide deposits, you know, very specific type of mine, uh, it was the right opportunity in anticipation of electrification. Uh, so we began a, a global search, started to assemble uh, assets around the world. Ultimately, that ended up with a footprint in Morocco and Botswana that led to the amalgamation of uh, a private company that held the assets in Botswana with North American Nickel in August uh, 2021, I believe was the completion of the amalgamation, maybe 2022, 2022. Um, So that was the gist of it, uh, bringing together uh, the management team, the exploration team, the assets, into a single uh, public entity that became Premium Nickel Resources Limited. It's and, and so the all these projects. I mean, Botswana is kind of the flagship. Is is that fair to say? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, we were looking for uh, you know countries with rule of law uh, projects that we felt would be you know sustainable economic development, assuming conservative commodity prices uh, and projects that had uh, the capability to be uh, large-scale developments. We were looking for big mines. Uh, so you you, yeah, you can't predict the sequence that you're going to find these projects. Uh, you know, we were in Morocco first and, and put together a project position there. Then we identified the opportunity in Botswana. As we did our due diligence, it became clear that Botswana was going to be uh, the primary asset in the company, should we be successful completing the acquisition of the assets. So it was, you know, a targeted process, targeted due diligence, a long-term negotiation to acquire the assets. But once we did acquire the assets, it's clear that they're the focus of the company moving forward. Yeah. 
Uh, so the, the two assets in Botswana are Salibi and Selkirk. Let's talk about Salibi because this actually was a past-producing mine, correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. Uh, we, we refer to it now as Salibi Pickway. Um, okay. And it's a, it's a, a small mining camp. Uh, past producer uh, started production in the early 1970s, ultimately became owned by the Botswana government and operated as a parastatal uh, company. Uh, at its peak, um, Salibe Pickway was producing from probably five or six underground deposits uh, accessed by initially an open pit and then four shafts, uh, two at Pickway, two at Salibe. The overall length of the mineralized structure is about 14 or 15 kilometers. So that gives you an idea of the scale of these, what are, were initially thought to be separate deposits, but what we now believe are all linked as one big mining camp. No, oh, interesting. So talk to me about exploration work and strategy here. Um, what has been going on on the ground over uh, the last few months, and what really is the strategy going into the remainder of this year and into the new year? Um, the initial investment thesis was based on the fact that uh, in 2015, uh, the the common smelter that all of the ore was processed through uh, went into a crisis. Uh, the operating company at the time, the Parastatal, Poured about 95 million U.S. from the Botswana government to do a major refurbishment. At the end of that, the smelter wouldn't restart. So our our interest in these projects was initially driven by the belief that uh, the mines didn't close because they ran out of ore. They closed because their their refining and smelting process broke and they didn't have a replacement. So we were always interested in trying to evaluate the potential of the remaining resource. Uh, it came with significant South African drilled out compliant resources, but we always felt that those SAMREC resources probably understated the total amount of remaining resource. Major mining companies don't drill out 100 year ore bodies. You know, they've been mining it for 50 years. They probably kept five or 10 years in, in future planning, but there's, there was still a lot more potential at these mines to host additional ore. Mm. So that was one of the investment thesis for us going in. What we knew going in is that this type of mineralization uh, conducts electricity extremely well. So if you can get electricity to flow in the subsurface, that electricity is effectively going to follow the high-grade nickel, copper, cobalt mineralization, sulfide mineralization in this system. So we've been using very modern geophysical techniques to effectively use that conductance to image and join up all these ore bodies in areas where they haven't been drilled, and then targeting drilling to demonstrate the thickness grade continuity of the ore. So that's what's been going on from an exploration point of view. We've now transitioned, uh, we have three drills underground at Salibe North. So one of the Salibe Pickway mines, we've prioritized to focus on it because it's got the best infrastructure and high grade mineralization proximal to that infrastructure. So we refurbished what's referred to as the Salibe number four shaft. And we have three drill rigs underground there now, drilling extensions of a known South African SAMREC compliant resource uh, and extending it by following geology, conductance, 
geophysical images to uh, increase that SAMREC resource with the idea of bringing it into sort of rapid reproduction or wrap back into rapid production. Yeah. The, that geophysical data, is that electric borehole or they call it electro borehole yeah. magnetic something? <laughs> yeah. Uh, borehole electromagnetics or borehole time domain electromagnetics, uh, incredibly powerful technology, but particularly in this application for this type of war, uh, think of it like MRI technology from a medical right. imaging point of view, but used in a subsurface application to show you where the high-grade mineralization is. Particularly if you've missed it in a drill hole, you can use these techniques to see several hundred meters around or below a drill hole and effectively vector your next drill hole, you know, into the better mineralization. Okay. And so you've taken this data and you are back underground drilling, at least you put out a news release back in August, said you had commenced underground drilling. Um, I don't know if we have seen results yet from that drilling campaign, but give us a sense of timing and really when you'll start presenting those that those first uh, core holes. Yep. Um, the total initial program at Salibe North is around 32,000 meters of drilling from underground. Uh, so they're quite short holes in terms of distance to the target, uh, which is important in terms of converting, you know, South African uh resources into 43101 compliant uh, we would anticipate assays coming to the market uh, mid to late october and there would be a continuum of assay results from underground drilling uh, for a number of months um, so probably into february march next year i think you're going to see probably two press releases a month from underground drilling as we move through that 32,000 meter program about 6,000 meters of it is done as of today. Uh, and probably two thirds of that have been sampled for assays and are with the labs. So we, we expect to get those assays back mid month. QAQC them, make sure they're okay and move them into uh, public press release and disclosure. And how about processing? How much of that uh, mine, I mean, is any sort of refurbishment need to happen in the mill or is it set to go or you know, give us a sense? I know this is a multiple stage process here, yep. but you know, how quickly can you turn this around if you were to go start mining again? Yep. Um, the Salibe Pickway, the Salibe number four, so the first of the, you know, the Salibe Pickway camp, we have it on a rapid redevelopment time schedule. So we're doing resource drilling and engineering at the same time. Uh, we hope to have compliant uh, PFS reports from Salibe North by the end of 2024 in anticipation of actually, these are permanent mines. Uh, so having it back in production uh, as early as 2026. So it's an aggressive mm -hmm. timeline to, uh, but that's what we're aiming at. And uh, the the I mean you you mentioned that the uh, refinement process you believe was maybe what caused that the the mine to close down originally is what is the uh, kind of the outlook for the refining process now what does that look like yeah so and when I talked earlier you, you sort of needed going into this one the investment thesis is, was you know the remaining resources are bigger than was understood yes. so you know right. we, we've proven that. The second investment thesis was that we can find a way to beneficiate or create a high value export product without the smelter, without the legacy processing. 
And within that, in more detail, you know, our vision is the redevelopment of these mines, not back to what they were in the 1960s and 1970s, but as examples of best practices, zero carbon footprint, producing high sustainability metal that exceeds the demands of electrification, uh, automobile OEMs. You know, the future of what the, what the world is expecting from accountable mining and principled mining processes. So when you combine that sort of commitment to low environmental impact, um, you have to look for a metallurgical solution to replace the smelting with that fits the strategy of the company. Um, so we've been doing a lot of testing, making press releases as, as we move through, but basically, um, uh, you know, producing a bulk concentrate, uh, potentially separating that bulk concentrate. These are polymetallic deposits. They have nickel, copper, cobalt, and one of them has PGEs. You can separate a copper con and then look at the nickel cobalt con, uh, again, for maximum uh, recoverability and sort of maximum payability. And at that at the moment, we're focusing on hydromet processing of at least the nickel cobalt concentrates which at the moment seem to be giving us very good um, results. And again, put us on that path of using you know, alternative energy, less water, and completely not dependent on smelters or the concentrate markets to be able to produce exportable materials you know, from Botswana. So it gives us the most amount of flexibility going forward uh, and independence, uh, which, which I like from a, a financing point of view. Yeah. Uh, my next question, why these nickel, copper, cobalt uh, deposits? I mean, why is that the focus here, what you set out to find? Um, that's, a, that's a long conversation, but uh, <laughs> the, the, short, the short answer is, uh, and it's a little bit facetious, but they are the rarest, hardest natural resource deposits to find in the world. Uh, mm. When, so when when you find them and you find big ones, uh, they they tend to transact at very full valuations in the market because they're rare. You know, typical, you know, big nickel, copper, cobalt, sulfide transactions. If there's two or three a decade, that's a lot. Yeah, you, know, you compare that to you know gold, for example, where there's you know probably a hundred deposits for sale on any one day. That doesn't exist in this space, and the metals are critical to. Uh, decarbonization. They're critical for military applications. They're critical for aerospace. You know, high temperature, high pressure, high purity nickel alloys are a, a very specific need. Um, and the this space has been, uh, I believe, underinvested in for the last 10 to 20 years. So not only do you have increasing demand, you've had a lack of investment creating, uh, you know, High performance, uh, you know, sustainable solutions for supply. Yeah, and my my last question is: to talk to me about Botswana. I mean, I I I'm familiar, somewhat familiar yep. with Botswana. I think it's a little bit of a uh, under recognized uh, jurisdiction and country for exploration and mining. Uh, but talk to me about why it's such a benefit to be working there. Yeah, I. I, I, I I can't say anything but positive things about Botswana. Uh, the government, the people, the country, 
Um, I opened my first business in Botswana in the mid 1990s. Uh, so I have a long history with the country and, and the mining industry there. Uh, you know, uh, it's the longest continual democracy in Africa, rule of law, um, free markets, great human rights records. It's transformed itself in the 1960s from independence from Great Britain as one of the poorest countries in Africa to now having one of the, the best developed middle classes, you know, I think in the continent. Um, you know, I did, like I say, I've, I've had businesses there for, you know, coming up on 30 years. Uh, I've never been asked to pay a bribe. I've never been in an awkward meeting. I've never been in, you know, meeting where I thought, you know, unless I did something that I wasn't going to do, uh, things weren't going to happen. Just doesn't exist there. Uh, I never feel threatened. It's safe. There's the, you know, no, absolutely. I think, uh, for it, people that are in the mining business, you know, I think I understand Botswana is, I, I would rank it as the top mining destination for investment. And in my career, I probably worked in sort of 50 or 60 different countries. Um, so I think the, deep, the deeper people dig into Botswana, its history and its politics, you know, it, it doesn't have indigenous issues. The indigenous people are Botswana. The indigenous people are the government. There's there's no division. There's no, they don't have the political strife of South Africa. Um, and it's got abundant solar radiation. Uh, I mean, it just goes, I can just go on and on. There's so many positive things about Botswana. It's incredible. You know, for for people out there who are listening to this, maybe unfamiliar with with premium nickel, there is a connection here, and there's a little bit of a a, a cult like connection because of the attention uh, tin received over the last couple of years, and obviously uh, the highest grade tin mine in Congo for Alpha Men, uh, former Alpha Men uh, CEO Boris Kamstra is the chief operating officer with premium nickel now um, and talk to me about kind of that, you know, the, the importance of getting somebody in who's familiar with working in Africa and mine building uh, with, with such you know importance when it comes to typically rock, that's really hard to mine. Yeah. I'll maybe answer it in a different ways. It's a great point, Trevor. I, um, if I can't say anything bad about Botswana, I definitely can't say anything bad about Boris. And um, I mean, the guy—the guy's an absolute all-star. Um, pleasure, pleasure to work with. Um, but that's kind of the commitment to to who we are as a management team. We, when you get a great project like this, it attracts talented people, and we try and maintain a management philosophy that allows high-performance people to perform well. Um, so, you know, it's a structure that is full of 30, 40 year professionals. They all bring an A game, you know, to the table, they're self-drive, they do their thing. Uh, they coordinate when they need to, they deliver results when it's their responsibility. So Boris is a, a perfect fit into that, that culture. And as you say, he brings a lot of just direct experience. Not, not, you know, not, you know, not so much this, the red in the Congo, but in the whole Southern African uh, supply chain and engineering sphere that supports, you know, mining on that continental scale. Uh, Boris has all the experience uh, and relationships that we will need uh, as we advance this project. So yeah, he's a key member of the team, but 
well, I'm excited to see this thing, uh, you know, moving forward. It's been a little bit of a, a long wait for some of us who have been in holding these shares for a while, but excited to see yep. more activity at the project and I look forward to following the stories and the updates uh, in the weeks and months to come, Keith. So thanks so much for this introduction and stay safe down there. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. It's an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to getting back together you know, with you as you know, uh, material news flow from the project gets to the market. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody, that is your introduction and update from Premium Nickel Resources. They do trade on the Venture Exchange with PNRL. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.